Hello, welcome to MySpot Talks. I'm Chetan Shah, hosting a series of podcasts for the global events industry. In this week's episode, we talk to corporates about their planning for 2021. We're joined by Jay Cannon from AFME, Mark Baker, who's ex-Oracle, and Christiane Beck from Clearleft. A few MySpot messages before we get started. So hopefully all of you have now seen the Voice Forum. So it's Voice mycebook.com uh, please do sign up to that because that's where we're now migrating to from the 1st of February so next yeah. Monday we'll be closing um, we'll be closing the old forum uh, please as you will have seen if you are in the forum um, that you if you've got nothing blue under your name that means basically if you can go into your settings and add your profile many if you could add your profile image and also your company name, that would be really appreciated. I think it's just nice so we can see who you are straight away on the feed. Um, please also download the app, which you can do with the about. You can use the app, and that's obviously a really handy way to keep in touch if you're out and about. <laughs> out and about. That's funny. Um, uh, you can post events there as well. So you can, rather than just do a post, you can post an event and also if you're unsure of anything in terms of the new forum, then just give me a shout. Uh, or you can message me through the actual app or obviously email me chetan at mycebit.com. And V Awards is now moved to the 2nd of July, which will be at the Nobu Portman Square. We wanted to make sure it was a live event. This is a virtual award celebrating all things in the virtual space. Um, categories are out. We've got now the judges also confirmed. Um, and also the entry criteria will be out on the 15th of February. So keep an eye on the page on mustbeonit.com. Right, let's get into this um, and start our conversation with corporates and see what their vision is for 2021. Uh, let's do some quick intros. So I'm going to go to Jade first. Intro yourself, uh, company, yourself, and what's your current biggest challenge? Let's go with that one first, Jade. Thanks, Cheetan. So, um, yeah, I'm Jade Cannon and I am the head of events for the Association of Financial Markets in Europe. We're a membership body and we represent the wholesale banking industry. I've been there for around 10 years, so a bit of a, a veteran at that organisation. Um, and I am responsible for strategy and I manage a team of around six people. <laughs> Biggest challenge, I think, is looking at going back to live actually so for me I'm quite nervous about what that process looks like I've just kind of got to grips with virtual events um and, and we think we've you know we've got it quite right now but actually how do we start that process of going back to live because it just feels like such a, a minefield um so yeah I'd say that's probably our biggest challenge at the moment pick you up on that one great um let's go to mark hi i'm mark baker um i've been at oracle for 17 years and in the last four years been running uh strategy and operations for marketing across me and jpac but uh i'm actually on gardening leave at the moment uh looking forward to uh, uh starting a new adventure in, in mid-february um at another large enterprise software organization um, where they've got the same challenges um, and uh, around uh, around all their concerns. I think that one of the biggest issues 
that we're seeing from a, a corporate point of view is, is understanding what demand generation is going to look like in the future um, and how that's going to affect the size and scale and scope and reach of the events that we're, we're hosting, um, both from the virtual we're doing now through, through going back to live and, and what, what I suspect is going to be a more hybrid approach in the future. I'm actually getting people to register and show up at the, at the outbound events that uh, where, we, where we don't have a, a captured audience, I think is going to be a really interesting challenge. So when, sorry, when, just on that, when you say demand generation, do you mean demand actually, by the people to register, And once they've registered, okay. getting them to show up. Okay, yeah, good point. And finally, Christiane. Thanks, Chetan. Um, I'm Christiane Beck. I've been working at corporates for the last five, six years. Um, I was in-house at Virgin Atlantic and Virgin Holidays for nearly three years. Um, and then uh, I went in-house at Shell. I was in-house at Shell for nearly, nearly two years. And then in the last two weeks, I've moved into a brand new role as head of events for a company called Clearleft. Um, it's a small corporate and essentially we organize conferences all over the world for the design and UX community. Um, so I'm still finding my feet there. Um, but, you know, as someone who's got quite a lot of experience working corporate side, I would say my biggest challenge at the moment is the moving goalposts, not knowing when I can start planning something physical. Uh, I'll probably talk a lot more about this when we start getting into the nitty gritty. But what I'm finding is that there's a huge appetite to get back to live. But when is the question and what logistical challenges come with, with that, especially internationally? Um, so, yes, it's moving goalposts. It's not having a final date for when things are going to be uh, available to get back to physical uh, events. Um, and, yeah, what, what, what that means for the future. Thank you. So thanks, everyone, um, for being on this panel. I guess we talked about it last time when we did the agency leaders one and it was kind of we know that this is almost going to be a repeat of the conversations we had last summer it's such an unknown so we do accept that you don't have crystal balls but you do have i guess and what will be good is to delve into the challenges you have and just see kind of do they resonate and what solutions are you or how are you trying to find solutions so christian staying with you uh I know you're new into your role, so you may not have the full picture, but what is your vision for live? So when, where, and what would it look like? Those, those three things. Well, okay, so when, um, I think that uh, touching on um, what Jade was saying, uh, when we get back into in-person events, I think what's important is understanding exactly how you can make attendees feel safe, what that means for the layout of an event. And, you know, if you're doing something internationally, there could be various government regulations in any of those countries of what you can and can't do. Um, and because everything's moving, the question of when is so hard to answer. Um, but there's definitely appetite. I think to be very safe, I wouldn't say live events will get 
back to kind of large scale conferences, for example, large parties, I wouldn't say they would get back to how they used to be until the beginning of next year. So 2022, possibly, possibly the back end of this year, but I guess it would really depend on the type of event, the um, number of people going and other other varying kind of um, variables um, where um, interesting what Mark was saying earlier. Um, I think virtual events over the course of this year have shown us that it is possible to deliver uh, an alternative experience especially for those who might not have the accessibility or they might not have the money to attend in-person events if they're paying for them or they might not be able to travel because they can't afford it or because of accessibility whatever I think a hybrid model moving forward is going to be key um, so offering people the opportunity to, to, to experience that event virtually as well as some having that physical in-person experience um what formats um I, every event will be different and i think the approach will be different for for anything and everything so it's yeah you're, no one's got a crystal ball it's so hard to answer a lot of those questions but yeah. i think it's interesting to have these conversations to hear about what other people other corporates are thinking about you know i'm thinking about how eventually i can create events that i know are going to engage my audience that are hybrid and engagement levels we've seen sorry I'm probably chatting quite a lot but over the course of 2020 virtual events are getting decreasing levels of engagement people are getting zoom fatigue it's so hard to keep people's attention and so the format of virtual events are having to be tweaked as you go to, you know, try and test, try and test, get feedback, amend your agenda so that it's as engaging as possible. Yeah, no, good points. Mark, same, when, where, how? So what I'm seeing um, from a practical corporate point of view is that especially for, I'd say, larger events, anything from 200 people up to 10,000 people, what our teams are having to do is design at a very high level three, four, or five different versions of those events. You know, so um, I'm aware in both 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 companies that they are looking to go live with large events toward the back end of this year. But to because there's so many unknowns, they're having to say, well, what would that look like if it was all virtual? What would it look like if it was very small in personal and the rest virtual and then scale all up to a very large in-person event? And, and you're really understanding at that point what the, um, what the lead time is, because lead time becomes absolutely crucial in all these things, because it, you don't want to overcommit too early to something which might not happen. Um, a friend of mine is in the um, event lighting industry, and, and he was not at all surprised this last week when Glastonbury was canceled, because he, he normally supplies lighting for stages at Glasto, and, and they, they start building on site in February for June. They've got, you know, that full four or five month lead time. And so they had to make the call now to not do it because of that lead time. So I think that that's going to be a real, uh, a real view into, into what things are. And I think, you know, the hotels and the conference centers and that will start seeing 
big corporates and events agencies talking to them about what's possible and and trying to put the commit uh, push the commit as far back as possible to give that flexibility whereas small events round tables under 100 person events executive events i think the you know, things that can be organized with a couple of months notice that's that's the sort of thing I think we're going to see coming up first once people have that comfort with uh, with infection rates and vac vaccination levels and things like that. Okay, thank you, Mark. Jade, same 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 question to you. Well, I think like Mark, we're we're going for a similar kind of process at the moment where we're actually having we're planning to um, go back to live events later in the year in autumn but we're actually looking at with every single event having like three different plans so then we can scale up or scale down if we need to um i think everyone is desperate <laughs> to get back to live in-person events but there's just so many moving parts at the moment that you just can't really say whether it's going to be possible or not so i'm currently doing lots of research um similar kind of actually the process last year when we were moving from live to virtual where we're looking at kind of member appetite you know what are people's travel restrictions uh are people's budgets being cut can people even attend events um so then actually once i've got all of that data i can say based on this whether we can even go forward because you know we could we all would love to go back to live in-person events but if actually you know, the, there's the business who may put restrictions in place, but there's also that personal um, thing where some people are actually not going to be vaccinated by the autumn or don't feel comfortable. So I think it's about doing lots of research now and then putting the best possible strategy you can in place and then just having to be as agile as possible. Uh, the, the other thing you mentioned is where. So that's another really interesting question because a lot of our events are based in Europe. So um, currently the UK is obviously ahead in terms of the vaccination process. So we are looking at whether we move some of our events that were in other European cities back to London for this year. But again, that, that may change. So um, it's a bit of a million dollar question at the moment and jay just to pick up on what you're saying i think the that whole where is the event is very interesting because yeah. how how willing will people be willing to get on a plane to go to a, an event and how willing will businesses be send their people country to country to to attend events i think there's a, a really going to be a very interesting um uh impact on 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 how we move it all forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think how, again, I think there's lots of different options that we're currently looking at. Obviously there's fully virtual. Um, the, the other, I think the next step for us is actually doing something that's virtual, but having more of a studio feel, so then it's more like a TV production. Cause I think there is a lot of webinar fatigue and people- Live studio audience. Exactly. And then um, I think, doing something maybe on a smaller scale, even when we go back to in-person events. So instead of having your 300 people at a conference, you maybe do a hundred people and then the rest of the people who can't travel stream in. There's that added complexity that hybrid events are quite expensive because you have higher 
production costs. So it's, I think it's balancing that up. So um, yeah, I think we're just at the, the start of researching and, and looking at kind of the whole strategy. But as I said, we're just gonna have to be so agile when government restrictions change and infection rates go up or down. So, sorry, go on, Christian. I was just going to say one more thing around planning for multiple eventualities is that I've been spending a lot of time with legal working on cancellation terms in supplier contracts, venue contracts to enable us to have the best amount of flexibility. And obviously, you know, the venue, the supplier wants to protect themselves as much as possible. But at the same time, we need the, the flexibility to be able to cancel up into a certain point so yeah that's uh, that's another thing that I'm cautious of at the moment that I spend a lot of time with legal and contracting so so are so there's some general stuff there about the uncertainty having to work through multiple plans have you actually got live briefs out that you're actively working towards I know you're having plan b plan c and d but are you Christian, you just said that you're looking at supplier contracts and can, is that because you are generally looking with a view to putting some inquiries out or actually are you working on live briefs right now? I'm going to wear two hats now from both my previous sure. role and my current role. Um, there are live briefs for both currently going around and um the uh quite a few of those briefs are at that contracting stage where it's um a process of getting through with legal and the procurement team uh, a flexible enough contract to enable a get out clause if it gets to you know three months beforehand and we we're either still in lockdown or uh you know there's travel restrictions and quarantine times in some of the countries where these events are happening um you know i think brands are desperate to get out there and start doing live events for customers for internal groups but it's there's so many moving parts like jade said and there's so many restrictions and the restrictions are different in every country so there's just lots of coordination and trying to protect yourself as well as your kind of supplier network okay i've got a question from mercedes here just are you accepting any sort of admin charges um for cancellations so a a fee not not necessarily but yeah, let's it's, let's say it's an admin charge for a cancellation. Is that come up? I mean, I, th I think so. I think I think the brands that I'm working with are they care about the suppliers that we're working with, and if it means working through um, with legal to get a contract together that both sides are happy with, yes. If that means a small charge, then that's absolutely fair enough. Yeah. Um, it's. Yeah, it's just protection. Really. What procurement doesn't want is to, uh, you know, three months in advance, you know, find that they're in another lockdown situation and have to pay 100%. You know, that's 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 not good for uh, for the business. So, you you know, it's about finding that middle ground. So obviously contracting and flexibility will help get this industry moving, I guess, and make sure that you guys are ready to, you know, put out briefs and, and hopefully get to a stage of contract. The other thing, Jay's, you mentioned early when we were talking was testing. And I wondered, you know, I'm, I'm looking to, we've got our V Awards on 2nd of July and I don't know what it's going to be like, but I, I didn't know if on the market, have you guys seen anything in terms of rapid testing, like, which is like 
30 quid or something and you get within 20 minutes, you get a result. And that way you can have audiences. They might still be socially distanced. They might not be, I don't know. But rather, you know, the PCR test, which I think is 140 pounds or varying a couple of hundred pounds anyway, that, that's pretty prohibitive to, uh, you know, any larger numbers of events. Um, are you guys finding any technologies or have you seen anything that may get the event industry moving and groups together? We, we are, um, we've just started looking at this. So we are considering about um, doing rapid tests. We'd likely, I think there's two options. You either send out a test 24 hours, 48 hours before, um, or you do them on site. I think we're leaning towards that we would send them out before. Um, and our production team is actually looking at kind of rapid tests and looking if we could get them on a, a large scale and, and getting a good price for them. And then we would probably incorporate that into a delegate fee or, or, or something like that. Um, the, I think the only downside if you do them on site is if you get a positive test, what mm. do you do with that person and how does that impact the event? So that kind of scares me a little bit. But then, you know, the, the other thing is if you send it to someone and then they don't do the test at home, what, where is the liability? So um, I don't think there's a wrong or right answer, but I think the test may be the way that we can get back to live events and actually would give, I think, people a bit of comfort that they know that everyone in attendance has had a test at least 48 hours before, like you would when you were travelling. Yeah. Did you see the this week um, the announcement from Saga Cruises? Um, I'm old enough to be targeted. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, but it was on the BBC that they're now saying that everyone every every passenger needs to have be able to doc have documented evidence of vaccination. Um, and which I, for me I opened up a whole bunch of questions. Well, what about the people who had it and recovered and they're they're, they're good that it, you know, they've got it that way, you know, will they accept, you know, antibody tests as, uh, you know, there's all sorts of things. And, and what are they doing about all the, the entertainers and the staff and everything else? Are they just being quarantined or are they being tested too? Um, and I do, it does make me wonder if, if uh, some of the corporates aren't going to um, through their, you know, high, you know very you know, low risk, environments be looking for venues or other places to pro start providing guarantees on vaccination rates, quarantining of staff and things like that. Because I think that would be, you know, I think there's there's enough conversation now going on in, in the news generally about this concept of vaccine passports or immunity passports for COVID. I think, I think that could become a, an interesting angle for for a lot of this, both you know, both for our staff on site and you know, to protect our staff and to protect the participants, I think it's a, it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. And I, I nobody I've seen has any real plan. There's bits and pieces on the there's something in the FT a couple of weeks ago about Oracle and Microsoft and some government agencies doing some online work so that people can have a QR code that effectively shows that they are okay. But there was not much detail yet. So a really interesting angle. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, interesting. I've got a question here from Faye uh, asking about true, I mean, you've, I think a couple of you mentioned up pent up demand um, really there. And 
or is there still a nervousness? So that, I guess there's a twofold question in that. It depends who you're talking to. So maybe the audiences are really keen to get back or the, and the, the senior level management, the procurement, the MD, CFO, maybe they're keen to get back and maybe the, the audience is more nervous. Which, which, which way around are you seeing it? Or is it all, you know, in, in terms of both audiences? Uh, Mark, stay with you. Well, it, it, every, as far as I can see, everyone is keen. You know, people, uh, I'd say the participants are keen but nervous. Um, you know, how am I going to get there? How am I going to stay safe? What, what are the conditions going to be? Um, the executives are keen because they know that live person-to-person interaction is the best quality and you get the most out of it. But again, there the concern is, what's the risk to my business? What's the risk to my customer? Um, and again, I'd say the people in the middle who are the organizers, they can do it because they're fun to do. They're fun to, fun to build that excitement and energy and, and, and all the rest of that. But, but again, are, are worried about what they're going to, all the extra work they're going to have to do to, to do it. So I'd say everyone's keen, but no one really knows what, what it's going to take to get properly back to life. Okay. Um, slight change of tactic. I read a really interesting report by Orange Door. It's an agency, um, event agency, virtual and live. Um, and they made, I read the report and made two really interesting distinctions. And I'm not sure if how you guys work and whether you work with agencies, but one thing they said that in this new world, there's a better collaboration between the agency and the client because it's so new, it's it's more of a collaborative approach. It's not, you know, you're talking all the time on Zoom, so you've actually become way more collaborative. And so that's new. And it's almost and, and it's almost gone to an older style of agency relation where the agency wasn't just told what to do and where to go. It went back to an agency relationship where actually this is our challenge, how can you help us? What's your thoughts on your, if you do work with agencies, on how you are working with them and, and have you seen that dynamic change through this time? Christiane, coming to you. Well, I think actually I would agree with that point quite a lot. I think um, over the course of last year, while I was still at Shell, we would be getting briefs through from different parts of the business and you know a really specific objective that would have really specific kind of rules around it so we would be going to our agencies and saying how can we achieve this with what tools we have um and you know how can we be creative with it and the result of that was some really nice activity but over the course of the year, there's been so much virtual activity that engagement levels have dropped. Um, and it, you know, we're now having to think of even more creative ideas of how to uh, achieve these really specific objectives, which you know is, it becomes more expensive or becomes more complicated. Um, I, I'm going back to the question that Faye had around are corporates itching to get back to life? Yes, they are, because they are the best way to achieve the objective virtual everyone's exhausted everyone's got distractions at home um, no one can sit in front of a laptop for six hours and uh, retain all of that information that you could at an in-person event 
networking is a completely different kettle of fish virtually to in in person and that's you know one of the key things about in-person events and and that objective as a as a brand bringing people together bringing customers together internal staff um yes the the desire is definitely still there but until you can either make it totally risk-free or demonstrate exactly how you're managing that risk that's that's when we'll start getting back to, to, to in-person events yeah Any, anything to add jade at all in no i mean we don't work with agencies um but i definitely agree on your point about actually it has i think because we all have the same common enemy which is covid it kind of all pushes people to work together and be creative and to be honest you know we need all of the venues we need all the suppliers more than ever because everyone is doing their own research and in a way it kind of pulls you all together to come up with one solution which is you all want to everyone's desperate to go back to how things maybe not how things were maybe uh, but you know the new way of um, light of live events. So I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think it has kind of pulled people together in a weird, if there's any silver lining when it comes to COVID-19, I think it has made people much more collaborative and um, they can bond, even if it's just to talk about that one con common enemy that we've all got. And so you mentioned the supply chain um, and something, a trend and thought processes that's definitely there is is the two things one the pent-up demand of having not been live for so long and we're now all going to try and do something in q3 q4 2022 there's going to be real issues of supply and also a lot of those great suppliers that we may have relied on we don't know how secure everyone is or who's you know who's who's going to be there and dependable suppliers are you facing that are you thinking that um or are you kind of yeah, what are you doing to kind of look at the supply chain um, and, and the issues that might come up? Um, I mean, I haven't actually thought about kind of whether people will still be there. I, I, throughout this process, I mean, particularly like our production team, we've we've just wanted to support them even more than possible because we, we know how hard it is for everyone mm. throughout this. It, it, you know, there's not one organization or one company that hasn't been affected by this so all of the smaller businesses we've been doing as much as we can to keep them to support them and we'll continue to do that yeah thanks okay mark mark christian anything else to add on supply chain pent-up demand um any of those things um i would say yes that's that is a challenge you know you don't want um key suppliers that you've built up great relationships with over the years to to disappear um and uh freelancers as well you know mm. at the moment i'm seeing a lot of the freelance network that i work with pivot into other things whether it's project management in different areas or you know executive assisting and anything and everything people are swapping into totally different industries and also what are, I mean, it's, it's as someone that has to manage budgets, um, I worry that costs are going to increase further down the line for, you know, basic things, whether it's supply, uh, a supplier cost going up because their ongoing costs are more or, or whether it's just products 
companies going bust or because of Brexit, uh, you know, the cost of imports and export, whatever, you know, I'm sort of anticipating that the cost of things are going to go up a little bit, but I don't know how much really, it could be quite a considerable amount. Um, so yeah, they're, they're things that are in the back of my mind, but you know, again, crystal ball, I don't, you don't know what, what things are going to be like this time next year. Yeah, yeah, and picking up on what Christiane said, the you know we, we expect cost per head for physical events to go up because you need to take on bigger space to hold you know the same number of people. You will probably you know if you're doing food, drink, coffee, and all the rest of it, all the stuff around that for the next while is going to have going to go up as well. So you know we, we I'd say we're we're probably baking in at least a fifty percent. Um, cost, you know, for for the same level of service, effectively. So, you know, it's it, you know, which will make force us to do fewer events because because the costs go, have gone up. So, you know, it, it's because it, there's no more budget. <laughs> you know, if the costs for an event go up, then we will do fewer events. Okay, well, let's let's move let's move on because we've touched on virtual and hybrid quite a bit already, but. Um, in we're kind of in the second year of virtual let's say people have uh, audiences have been in throughout the whole of 2020 they possibly have been through three four big virtual activations uh, let, let's start by saying uh, what have you seen that has has really gone well in terms of virtual in terms of engagement what what kind of is it a specific functionality that you saw that worked really well a, a delivery home or something that arrived on the desk where have you seen wow that was just good engagement didn't cost the whatever it might be is there something that springs out to your mind that makes you go that was bloody good actually anyone i think um, there's lots of different answers uh to this question but I think what we found you know after doing lots of different conferences and we've tried so many different things by adding meditation throughout the day or yoga or mind readers or wine tasting and actually I think particularly for our audience what comes down to what makes our sponsors and our delegates happy is networking mm-hmm. so um you know I think we're going to go if we do continue to do virtual events, which I'm sure we'll be here for a long time, as well as, you know, like going back to in-person events, I think the one thing that I've learned is actually, perhaps you don't need all the bells and whistles, but actually you just need really good content. So investing in, you know, a really good um, host for the day with really strong speakers that will pull your delegates in and really good networking. So we've just purchased um, a networking tool, which we've added on to our software, which is like roundtable networking. And I think that's, if you, if you can get those two things right, I think it's worth investing in them rather than all of the other add-ons. Don't get me wrong, but they're great. But what, what we found is during the breaks, people tend to go and get a cup of tea or respond to their emails rather than taking part in the kind of the nicer kind of things like the yoga and the meditation because I think we're all we've all got webinar fatigue with uh, quizzes that we're doing at the weekends and things like that so I think 
people are, you know, are very time sensitive. We're spending more and more time at our laptops and working longer hours. You want to get content really quickly and you want to network with people. So I think that's the two key areas. Yeah, that's really, that's really good stuff. Uh, Jade, someone's asked if you can and you don't have to, but or maybe you could send it to me, the networking tool that you mentioned. Yes, you it's, could... it's Remo, actually, and that's what it's called. And it's actually really reasonable. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it, if, it, they do lots of kind of demos, I think, every week. So you can just go onto their website, but you can add it on to your existing software. And yeah, it's very, it's very effective. Yeah, if anyone wants to watch a, uh, a demo of Remo, it's on our forum under the virtual topic tab. You'll see we showed Remo, one of the experts showed Remo and how it works. Um, Christiane, you, you mentioned a few times about fatigue and people have bought, you know, is, is there any learnings that you've taken from how it's evolved and are, is content shorter? They talk about 22 minutes being the optimal time or whatever it is. Um, what, what, what have you taken away and, and how are you going to, uh, execute in 2021? I think for virtual events, the key is to keep things snappy and to make sure that your presenters are engaging. The, the longer you go on, the less engagement that you get. And if you have a really dry speaker, people just don't retain the information. Um, yeah, those are, those are really important. But also what Jade was saying, I think is key. Networking is what people are really missing, talking to one another. So what I think has been working really well is having either a sort of a chat functionality like this as a really, really basic form of networking, if not something a bit more like engaging and a bit more fun. Doing roundtables has really has been getting really good response and, and generating really good conversation. People are so starved for conversation. It's yeah, it's really working well. The, the worst uh, experiences have all been a webcast, like no, no way of uh, speaking back, no way of being heard, you know, and, and um, you know, for really specific events where you've got an objective to, you know, engage with your employees or with a customer base that it, it should not be a webcast, 100%. And that's where, you know, we rely on our agencies to come up with creative ideas of what to do. And, you know, the yoga and the magician and things like that in the breaks sometimes works, but it depends on the audience. If it's someone quite senior that you know is going to have an inbox full of emails, if they've got a break, they'll just go and answer those emails. But, you know, if they are, if they do have a bit more time and they're less stressed, then yes, they might engage. But networking is key and not just a simple webcast if, if you're, you've got a uh, um, audience that really want to chat to one another which audience doesn't I, I think yeah i totally agree mark what about you any evolutions what I, do you I, think it's been picked up you know short content and very very focused content yeah at oracle of course we've got lots of different sorts of communities we we talked to and we're we've, we've been very fortunate we can run a big event and have a big keynote and give general stuff and then break out into into smaller things the, the reality of virtual has turned out to be that you have to do everything in small, very carefully packaged things with the right style, speaker, and content and interaction for that audience. Because your CFOs or, or your CIOs or your CEOs are going to engage 
very differently to your developers. You know, because we run lots of developer conferences and, and you know, and probably doesn't surprise too many people. Those are the most interactive because they're already part of a community. They know each other from the community and the, the topics on the, you know, the more detailed technical topics that they, we cover on webcast are very educational and informative. And it forces a lot of, um, there's a lot of very natural back and forth and question and wanting to get a view from the, the presenter and things like that. Much harder with more general stuff. Um, and so again, the more specific and focused and targeted you can be to get an audience that are, you know, not kind of interested in a topic, but highly engaged like this audience is, you know, you see all the questions coming on the chat and the interaction because it's appropriate to the audience. And, uh, and you know, being that, that focused and tight and appropriate makes, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. In li live as well as in, uh, on video, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, got a question from Stefania about going, when we go back to traditional events, so actually it's kind of rolled up to something Rebecca has also posted um, a question from Monaco's uh, CVB. When we go, there's, there's two questions here. When we go back to live, there'll, I think there will be a difference in terms of, it won't just be an event because that event happened. There'll have to be a real purpose, a real sense of reason why it's happening because it's almost going to be reevaluated against the risk factors. So in some ways it could actually be more special. It could be bigger. It could be re, but, but the reason for it will be even more special. So two questions on the back of that, if you agree, is do you think the activities and the way programs will happen on site in a destination will be broadly similar, but the, maybe the main objective is a bit more special. And secondly, when choosing a destination, do you think there has to be a connection of why you're going there? Or is that kind of no, as long as the, you know, does it have to go that far? Or could it still be no, that works for flight logistics, hotel capacity, all of the other things. And actually, great if there is connection, but actually, no, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it's a bit of a specific question, but um, Christiane, staying, staying with you. Um, so in terms of location, I don't think much would change because you're, it's still if it's for something like uh, geography, you know, you're, you have a certain market that uh, you've picked a location due to you, you know that there's a good market in that area. It's easy for people to travel to. That's not going to change in terms of what it, when we go back to live, whether traditional activities might change, I think in essence not really but I do think some things might change like one thing that's just popped into my head I'm not sure if we'll have buffets anymore <laughs> uh, due to how the food is served you know it could be more um, you know brought out and served by staff or packed lunches things like that you know but the, the small considerations and just demonstrating to your audience that things have been thought through. Um, and I don't, th I don't know how long the buffet has for this world. Um, but I think generally, you know, uh, in a conference or a party environment, I think the sort of format will remain. But like Mark was saying, in a conference setting or a dinner setting, there will be a bit more space between people. Anyone else got anything to add to that? Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, th I think there's going to be a real 
focus on networking um, because I think people have been, it's, it's, it could go either way. You could find that actually it's going to be difficult for you to network because life won't be the same and you are not going to pack, be able to pack as many people into a room and allow them to network in that way. But I think there is going to be, you know, a real urge for people to get back. If you look at um, even the, the Spanish flu in 1918, you had the roaring 20s after because people were desperate to get, you know, to spend and to be in contact with people and network and have lots of parties. So we may find that actually in a year, two years time, that people would be spending more, people want to network even more so than they were before, which would be great. But you're still, I think, going to have those restrictions, like Christiane said, that, you know, can we do things like buffets? Um, are you going to be able to have as many people um, in one room at the same time? I, I don't know. But I, I do think there is going to be a much more focus on on networking because we've all been so deprived of that for the last year. I love that. I love the Roaring Twenties. I mean, it literally is. I mean, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a couple of more questions that have come through. And I, I'm going to ask this very quickly if anyone's got some insight, but otherwise I'm going to move on because it's about insurance. Has anyone had or any update on what your conversations are around insurance and whether that's been any hindrance or aid to getting back to life? No. Not me. No, me neither. Good, move on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, kind of a uh, stand, not standard, but a very topical question, especially given the sustainability question. Um, is it still... Is it going to be an increasingly important factor when choosing suppliers? Has it always been? Is it more to the forefront? Uh, for me, definitely. It's uh, sustainability has been high on my agenda for, for the last four years minimum. And I'm looking at tracking the carbon footprint of every event that I manage from here on in um, and either offsetting it or looking at places where I can reduce the footprint. It's high on my agenda and will continue to be. And I, I think that it is on most corporate event planners' minds. Is that a personal thing or is that a mandated company thing? It's a personal thing. And I think um, I think it's uh, it's our duty to to be caring about sustainability because our our industry is renowned for being quite wasteful. Um, and, you know, with a lot of international travel involved, I think it's um, it's an important thing that should be at the top of a lot of corporate event planners minds. There's a follow-up question here um, from Faye asking if you're using any particular methods to, to do this tracking. Uh, I built my own calculator. <laughs> um, um, yes, it took me a very long time. But I, um, I also use, um, there's a couple of different consultancies that you can speak to uh, who kind of guide you through the process um, and who almost check your work after you've put in all the data and then they they check your work and let you know what your carbon uh, footprint is and then you go off and offset it um, by buying carbon credits. Um, if anyone's interested in hearing more about sustainability I'm incredibly passionate about it and I, I talk about it at other industry events as well so feel free to get in contact with me after this. 
it, it's yeah. great and it's so it, you know it's so hard to do you know when we're we're using wipes you know sanitary wipes and plastic forks or whatever else and you know talking about the wonders of you know seeing the back of buffets the great thing about a buffet is that you know you're you're not having to use a lot of um you know, throw away things. It's all stuff that can be washed, but you move to bento boxes, suddenly it's cardboard in this and you've got to worry about all that. It's a really challenging area. Yeah, I think um, that's right. I think things are in the live world will get worse potentially because of because of the single use need then. Um, yeah. Um, got another question about networking um, from Katie who's asking, about how do you see networking with the hybrid events? Because I think there's been, uh, hybrid has been delivered a, quite a bit until this lockdown. Um, there's a there's a misconception or, or where you try and put your virtual and live and just ma mash them up and hope you, you got a bit of a hybrid. And of course that doesn't work whatsoever because you basically ruin and ignore both audiences in my opinion. Um, but have you seen anything where networking in a hybrid format could work or do you just have to keep them separate your virtual and your live separate mark i think there are elements you do together and elements you do separately mm. uh, is ultimately what it comes down to i think you do your you're trying to replicate a um a, you know multi-stream event multi-track event into a hybrid then you there are things you do which are everybody in one place and things you do which are, are people in, effectively in separate groups so perhaps the inter you know you just think about it if you've got a live session with a speaker they've got people in the room asking questions they've got people online asking questions maybe you actually answer the two sets of questions differently or you know via the use of um of a moderator um, you know, because they could maybe the online questions just don't answer directly in real time rather than waiting for the speaker, for example. So, you you know, the trying to treat everyone as if they're in the room won't just won't necessarily work. Yeah. So having, having some strategies for that is going to be really important. Yeah, and I, I think hybrid, I think hybrid events um, are going to be the way forward, but they, they are also quite tricky. There's pros and cons of them, I think. Um, I think one of the when we've been speaking to our boards there's people that either really like them or don't like them because they find the messaging quite confusing so that you know that they say do you want us to actually attend this event in person or do you want me to stream in I think you have to be very very clear what the expectation is and I think what we're going to probably do is ask people to attend in person if we can and then they're you know so the ones that can't, if they've still got continued restrictions, then they can stream in from other countries. But I think as long as your messaging is very clear that actually we want you to attend in person, otherwise you're spending, you know, all of that money on a venue. And some people will say, okay, actually that's fine. I can just stream in because this is a, this is a hybrid event. So I, I do think that's going to be a difficult balance for us when it comes to kind of marketing those. Add on to the audience, the audience generation, you know, if you, how, what's the, right now we have pretty good views on what the registration to attendee is for a live an event yeah. and, and a virtual event. Um, and a virtual event is much worse. 
Um, but you start building in the people who say they're going to come live and then do virtual or say they're going to do virtual and then want to show up live. It becomes very complicated. And I, I don't think we've got a, a great plan there yet to how to, uh, to cope with that sort of those sorts of challenges. And I, yeah. I think to his sponsors is the other thing, like, you know, what's the expectation with your sponsors? If, if where are they sending their people? Are they, are they online on a sponsor <laughs> booth or are they attending the event? So, you know, perhaps you do a bit of both. Um, but what you don't want is some unhappy sponsors where you hardly have any delegates that show up and that's what they're there to do is to exhibit and network. Yeah, I have seen that very early on in terms of cannibalizing your own event with with so you I guess you know there's been a quite a lot of um discussion around making sure that if you are going for a live event, you are getting something very special. And there's now even been talk of not recording certain live and having it available to stream or you know, it's there, it's live, you turn up and watch it, but that's it. Just to yeah. ensure that people do turn up and rather than go, I'll watch it later. And let's face it. Most people don't watch anything later. I'd rather watch Netflix later. Um, you know, uh, that's okay. We're coming to the last few minutes. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask a question that I asked the agency guys there when we did this talk, and it's really about our own fatigue in this whole world and virtual world and hybrid and these discussions and so on. We're going. We're still into it a lot longer than we all thought we would be. How are you keeping energized? What are you doing? Are you just kind of Right, I'm just going to keep going. There is an end in, in sight. So personally and, and kind of just how the teams are working, how you, we've got a bit longer to go. We all know that. But how do we get to the other side? Um, Jade, and come to you first. Um, <laughs> it's quite a big question. I, in terms of, because um, as I mentioned, I manage a team, trying to keep our team energised. Having, I mean, we have so much communication, probably even more communication daily through Skype and Zoom, and but making sure that you have um, one meeting, which is purely business, and you talk about your kind of strategy, and then we have another meeting, which is who's watching what on Netflix. So, you know, I'm conscious there's probably quite a lot of people in my team that live on their own, and I think you know, you do have a duty of care as a manager to check in with those people, not just on a business front, but also on a personal front. So I, and I've also made sure that I've done kind of virtual offsites. So not, so that we're not always in that crisis management and just trying to get through from one event to the other, that we are still continuing to be strategic and you're taking that time to look at what you're kind of focusing your work on. Um, personally, uh, just getting out the house, I think, <laughs> um, just, you know, some days go by and I, I can be really bad and I don't leave my laptop and I, uh, I'm doing homeschooling as well, which is joyful. Um, and you know, you just run out of hours in the day, but making sure that you've got some time just to get out of the house and even just to get away from your, your laptop, I think is so important. I was really, really good in the summer. You know, I'd make sure I'd go out for a run every day. It's become harder through the winter. Um, but yeah, keeping some time for myself, I think, even yeah. if it's for half an hour. Yeah, good, good points there. Thank you, Jade. Mark? I can I say the, the teams that we were working with are so 
energized by bringing people together. They they run events because they love running events and they love seeing the energy energy of that. And and when they see, you know, it's not the same with a virtual event because you don't get the energy in the room. But you when you see all those people actually showing up and engaging and staying on for the whole length of the thing, that there's energy and charge and um, and excitement in there because they got it right in a challenging situation. They got it right, and and I think much like um, I think Jed saying earlier about the the work we do with our our partners and and the real team dynamic that's brought together by everyone coming together to solve this massive challenge you know they they're, they're building stories anecdotes that they're going to tell tell people in the future yeah well you know i made it through the 2020 <laughs> pandemic and you wouldn't believe we had to switch all our events off overnight and we were running virtual <laughs> events we didn't know what they were or you know we had speakers showing up in their pajamas and sitting <laughs> on their sofa you know they're building stories and there's excitement about that and they they love doing it but but i think you do have to take into account you know we do worry a lot about especially some of the the people who do live on their own who don't have a lot else going on and we do spend a lot of time just taking care of the well-being of our teams and that's and and it's of the extended team because it's not just the people who work for us it's the people at the agencies we know they're having real challenges and and we want to support them in in that as well thank you mark i feel your energy thank you uh christian I, I think some companies are better than others at this. Um, I, having, having worked for one that's great and one that's not so great, I would say that just keeping in contact is really important and, and individual people have preferred ways of keeping in contact. Um, I've found Slack to be really good at that. Um, a channel where you can tap into it if you've got five minutes to just see what everyone's up to. The, you know, having different channels for recipe sharing or like something interesting that you can share amongst your group or, you know, just general chit chat. Um, but then also like your sort of work stuff. I think Slack's been a really great channel. Um, uh, just generally keeping in touch with people, which I, I feel like as event professionals, we love to do that anyway. Um, and just checking in, making sure, you know, your, your team are well and your friendship circle are well. Um, and then just personally, I, I don't know how this has happened, but I'm in the best shape of my life. <laughs> because I think I get having a reason to get up and get out of the house, whether it's go for a run or get into the living room and do a workout, it's something different to think about and just a different frame of mind to be in. So I don't know. I, I did not preempt that. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for my fabulous panel. Um, I, I love the Roaring Twenties. Here we come. We really hope you enjoyed those talks. And if so, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. To see what the next discussions are, please go to mustbeonit.com and click on Talks in the menu bar. To contact MiceBook, please email us at info at or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs>